0: For this week's episode, we are revisiting one of our earliest episodes featuring newly inducted Salinas Valley Hall of Fame member, Jean Asher. In this episode, she drops a ton of wisdom on what it takes to be an athletic director and what that experience has been like over her 40-year career. Please follow, like, and subscribe to the podcast. We also have a newsletter that goes out weekly, and there's a link in our bio.
1: This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.
2: Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember, sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit and supports better sleep quality and recovery in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements Welcome to, to the look Contacts out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free coaching, one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five show free travel packs with your first purchase. Mentorship All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash contact. Again, may offer this ideas is athleticgreens.com slash contact addition, to take to ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily culture, strategy and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein.
3: We are here today with Gene Ashen, longtime athletic director at North Salinas High School. Welcome, coach. Great to have you here.
4: Thanks for having me, Justin.
3: So, if you don't mind, I know you're no longer coaching directly, but as an athletic director, you're always a coach. You're just now coaching the adults. Can you take us through your background as a coach? How did you end up in athletics? How did you end up with your first job, any subsequent jobs? And ultimately, how did you get into the administration piece?
4: I always love telling my personal story because at 6'4", and being a woman, it's a little different than most trajectories, I would assume. And something happened in 1972 that changed my life. And that was the passage of Title IX. And I was a freshman in high school at the time. And the first day of high school, a physical education teacher grabbed me by the arm, dragged me into the girl's locker room and said, look what I found. And that was my introduction to athletics and a locker room and the love and joy that come in those arenas that you don't see in a lot of areas of life. And I came from a Catholic grade school into a large public high school. And it was a huge transition and athletics helped me with the connections of those students that I hadn't gone to school with. Mm. I didn't go to Notre Dame. I went to North Salinas high school. And so it was a time where I needed to make connections. And those connections came in the athletic arena. I started in volleyball and then moved to basketball and in the spring, I played whatever my friends were playing. One year I played softball, first base. One year I swam, I think two years I might've done track. But I really was a volleyball, basketball player. And North Salinas is the same age as I am at 62. And I love this place. And I have loved it since the day I arrived. And there have been three women who have been athletic directors here. Fran Maycumber was my physical education teacher in high school. Margie Silvera was my... Athletic director, volleyball coach when I was in high school, and myself. And I think that should tell you a little bit about the tradition of girls and the importance of girls here at North Salinas High School. My freshman year in high school, we played on the outdoor basketball courts with a penny. We had cookies and punch afterwards, and that's where we played basketball. My second year, I was allowed into the girls' gym which is the small gym on our campus. To this day, some of the coaches will still say, hey, Mrs. Ashton, you want to come in the girls' gym? Just to get my ire up a little bit. But by the time I was a senior in high school, we were playing in the main gym, in the boys' gym, in front of crowds. And we had some amazing male coaches at the time, Jim Forkham, Bob Steinbeck, just some amazing boys' basketball coaches. And I was being recruited and I was allowed to practice with them, but I could only practice with them if I helped them learn to jump rope. And I was, I still am an amazing jump rope. It's the only CrossFit skill that I would say is in my wheelhouse, but double unders, I can do double unders forever. And it's funny because the 20 somethings in my CrossFit class, just look over there and probably want to just go, what the heck? But as long as I kept doing jump rope with them, and I used to play uh, one-on-one with Scott Smith, who was our point guard, our shortstop, and our quarterback. And Scotty and I would play one-on-one. He coached in Hollister. He was their girls' softball coach for years and years. And I got to have a real wide view of athletics. And when I went to college, the Olympics had happened, 1976. And Billy Moore was the coach at Cal State Fullerton. I was recruited to come there. Back then it was AIAW, so the NC2A had not taken over for women yet. And she had come back with a silver medal with, at the Olympics for the United States. I played that freshman year behind an All American, four time All American, an amazing post player. My job was to try to guard her every day. And back then you either made the JV team or you made the varsity team. I was one of three freshmen who played on that team. We beat UCLA in the regionals that year with Annie Myers on that team and went to nationals back in Minneapolis, St. Paul, March, winter, when it was double elimination and Immaculata and Delta State and all the big names in women's basketball back in the 70s. And after three years at Fullerton, our coach was released. And I decided that I wanted to play for somebody that I wanted to play for my senior year. So I transferred to UNLV for the running Rebels. And I am telling you, if you want to watch some great basketball practice, Tim Gergerich was the defensive coordinator for the Rebels at the time. We were allowed to go in anytime we wanted to watch as lady Rebels. And... There was some amazing basketball going on in that gym. That's where I met one of my best friends and some of the great connections. And she is actually the head coach at UNLV now. And she was the assistant coach at UCLA and head coach, Kathy Olivier. And she was my roommate in college. And so the nice thing was after college, they said, yeah, what do you want to do? I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to be an athletic director someday. So I stayed on at UNLV, got my credential. I swept the floor. I picked up the recruits at the airport. I took them down to the Strip and had dinner with them. And then the superintendent of Clark County said, I need a sub for the second semester. I said, all right, I'll do it. And I taught from 3 to 11 p.m. every night. And then at midnight, I'd go to the Strip and gamble a little while. And then I'd sleep and go back and do the same thing. So it was super fun. It was a great time. And then Kathy was coaching at USC. And she said, hey, there's an assistant position at UC Irvine. Basketball was my love and still is my love. And I said, let's try it and see what happens. So I became the assistant coach at UC Irvine for the Anteaters under an amazing man, Dean Andrea. And I really enjoyed that time, but it was also a time where I was on the road a lot. I was up at Oregon at the camps. I was in Texas. I was in Louisiana. I was in Nevada and I enjoyed to travel. I was in my twenties and I thought that might be the way to go. And a man walked into the halls at UC Irvine, and he had on bright neon pink shorts. And I turned down the hall and I said, nice shorts to this man. And he is now my husband. And he started the men's volleyball program at UC Irvine. And Bill was there. He coached at Laguna Niguel, and and he's got state championships with uh, Laguna Beach High School and is the volleyball guru with people. And we got married and we decided, I don't think I want to be on the road. I don't think that's what I want to do. I think I want to be back in my hometown. And a job came open. They said, do you want to teach? It was about two people in the room. Sure. Okay. I, I'm pregnant. That's all right. You'll be fine. You want to coach volleyball? Sure. Bill and I'll coach volleyball together. So that's how I came back. And I told Ms. Maycumber my freshman year of high school that I would have her job. I told her I would be an athletic director. And we came back as coaches. Margie was still the athletic director at the time she was going to retire. So she stopped being the AD a year early so that she could stay here with me and help me that first year with any question I had. And at that time we had a girls athletic director and a boys athletic director. And a few years into that, our longtime boys athletic director retired. Alan Green actually took over for a few years. And realized that he, his love was staying with kid, the real close kid connection of coaching. And I realized that my forte was more in the leadership and overall belief of the athletic program. And I think that was what happened. And so I applied for the boys job and I became the first female boys athletic director. And I think for me, one of the biggest life changers was having principles and athletic commissioners who valued professional development and Since day one, I've been lucky enough to attend the national conference and the state conference in all 20 plus years of my athletic administration. So very early on, I didn't just see the the small North Salinas High School, MBL at the time, PCAL now, I saw North Salinas High School, Monterey County, California, the United States of America, the international programs. And I realized very quickly that we all share the exact same love of student athletes, love of movement and love of challenges. And those challenges seem to be the same in Indiana as they are in California, as they are in New York. And the beauty of having this global picture is being able to pick up a phone and say how did you handle this how can you help me understand this what works for you what part of this is about so I have had the dream job of my life since I started and the lucky thing I think the unique part of here is almost our entire football staff are alumni not only are they almost all alumni almost every one of them I had in class our varsity boys soccer coach is an alumni. Alan Green, our varsity boys basketball alumni. Varsity girls volleyball, our softball, Miss Medina. All of them are alumni who either were in my class or were in the transition time between the time I graduated and came back. And there's just something special about your high school. There is just something, a love. It's something that always is there. So that's is a really long-winded, how I ended up at North Salinas High School.
3: (laughs) I love it. And so many places we can go with that. Traditionally, when I interview coaches, it's about, hey, what did you not know when you stepped in the room? And what do you wish you would have known then? And we're going to come to that. But I think in your situation, since you brought up the convention pieces that you've always attended, can you talk a little bit about how important that has been for you throughout your career in both establishing and growing your network of mentors and whatever else that has tangibly brought into your life? Because I think the concept of, hey, let me go to this convention is intriguing for most, but there's always a reason people don't do it. So give us your hard sell in three or four bullet points as to why that has been transformational on your journey. That
4: is the easiest question I've ever been asked. I'm going to give a very specific example. One of the conferences I went to, there was an orthopedic surgeon. I don't remember his name now. He's a well-known orthopedic surgeon in the United States. He was the general session speaker. He said to all of us in the audience, there are two things you need to do when you get back to your school. You need to buy an AED and you need to buy breakaway bases. And then he showed us the most horrific slideshow of what happens in with non-breakaway bases, right, with stationary bases. After we all were sitting there like this, I said when I came back to the district is we need breakaway bases and we need an AED on each one of our campuses. Today, an AED is the standard of care. Everywhere has an AED. All of us have breakaway bases. So every year I would come back with the newest standard, the highest Regulation, along with the points that were coming up, I've taken 37 LTC classes, leadership training classes. Every year, when you see the new titles of the classes, you know what your job is going to be like. There are four classes right now that are being developed by the NIAAA. Tragic events in the high school, partnering with your parents, diversity inclusion, equity, Mm -hmm. mental health of the student athlete. Where do you think athletic administration is going? When I first started, I made sure the bus was there. I made sure there were kids on the bus. I made sure there was a grown-up on the bus. I made sure the doctor had a tri-tip sandwich on the sideline and everybody else was fine. It's not like that anymore. And we have to remember about our 14 legal duties. And those legal duties transfer down to our coaching staff. So if I come back and the beauty of it too, is that I have a network now, if I share with the four of us in our district and I share with the PCAL and I share with the Central Coast Section and now as the NIAAA liaison for the state of California, I share with our entire state, those things that are just so important for all of us to know. And then the other aha moment I had at a national conference was again, a general session speaker. And he said, You need to be a flashing, blinking neon sign for what you believe in. And to this day, when I get on an airplane and somebody guesses my job, that validates for me that I did the right thing and that I am a flashing, blinking neon sign for doing things the right way, doing things with integrity, doing things with a work ethic, doing things with a positive attitude. Not to toot my horn that I am the perfect person. I am by far the least perfect person, but I know when I deal with what I'm doing every day, the first question I say is, what is best for the students on this campus? Mm -hmm. Is this coach the best for them? Is this program the best for them? Is two days a week the best for them? Three days a week? Do we need a rest day? Do we need this? What's best for our kids? And I think I learned that right away is like what's best for the kids has to be the driving force for all of us. And sometimes we get in the way of what's convenient for us as adults, but we can't keep doing that. And sometimes it's hard. So that's why it's so important to be involved with CSADA at at our state association and at the NIAAA, at the national association, even in our section, we started our local association and those bonds were singletons. We are one person on a campus. We're not in the history department. We're not in the art department. We're not in the English department. We have to get our knowledge from our colleagues. So I have learned so much from the four that I work with here. I am much older than them. The technological part, like just being on a Zoom meeting, Justin, is a big deal, right? So there is a lot of things I have to learn. And I honestly believe This job, I have never had the same day, never in my 20 plus years have I had the same day on this campus. I write a list. I have my list. I cross things out. There are days I don't do one thing on that list. There are other days when all I do is hug kids or reassure kids or tell them everything's going to be okay. There are other times when I feel like I've got everything done, very rarely but every year I've tried to make sure that I come back with the best information from experts throughout our entire United States.
3: Absolutely, you do that, and it's great to have somebody that is there to digest it for us and make sure we're getting at a bare minimum the Cliff Notes version of whatever the new learning is with the encouragement to go in and learn in more depth. So I really appreciate that. And I'm sure my colleagues do as well in regards to becoming a new coach or a new head coach or somebody falling into the seat that you're in for the first time, you have the luxury of having hired a ton of people over the years. And so the question may be a little bit different in how you answer it, but what are the things that most people or even yourself you feel still need to figure out when they take over as a head coach?
4: First of all, I would go back that most people consider it nagging. So I appreciate that you use the word encouraging, but I'm very good about planting seeds. I just try to plant seeds and then I hope that those will come. And they usually do. But I would say the hardest part about being a coach, I think today is I will often hear, I just want to coach. I hear that often. And those are the coaches who come in and and sit and we talk and, and I say to them, how can I help? What can I take off your plate that will hopefully keep you here? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll hear people say, why do you fill those transportation forms out for them, Jean? They can fill them out themselves. And I say, because it's one tangible way for me to take something off their plate. Because we cannot pay coaches enough. They are invaluable. They are the most amazing resource that we have at our school sites. They make connections with kids. They make a difference in their lives. We can't appreciate them enough. So I feel like my job is to show appreciation for what coaches do. I will say the most successful coaches that we have are the coaches who don't wait for me to come to them. They come to me a lot more often. We just hired a new track coach last year or the year before. He was in my office every day during fifth period. Every day he had a little Google Doc, which of course I was just learning about a Google Doc. He would say, I'm taking notes. I'm writing things down. This is what I, this is what I hear you say has happened. This is what I see was going on. And this is where I want to go. And he would keep these notes and we would continue this dialogue every day. And every day somebody else would come in during that time and they would ask me something and he'd say, oh yeah, what about that? Or what about this? So those relationships with coaches who are not afraid to continue to have dialogue and to have the hard discussions, like just some of them are really difficult to have because we take things so personally in athletics and we spend a lot of time. And when somebody says, help me understand why you're doing that drill in basketball practice. They sometimes take it like, what do you mean? I run this drill the last 25 years. Maybe you shouldn't anymore, or maybe you should. But if you can't tell me why, then maybe you should revisit that. I asked those questions when I was in high school, like coach Baxter, why do you call me the best hooker in school? Because he taught me how to shoot a sky hook. That was one of my favorite shots. Now he couldn't say that anymore in 2020. However... I would say, well, because, gee, we don't want that to get blocked. We want you to keep that position. You have nice long arms. It's one of those things we're going to get you really done. You're going to do the mic and drill every day. Why, Coach Baxter? So that blah, blah, blah. We should not take offense when somebody says, help me understand why we're doing this. The reason we take offense usually is, coach, why are we doing that again today? That's different than, because teenagers don't have the skill to say, hey coach, help me understand why we're doing this for the 25th day in a row. So I think those things are super important for coaches. It's just to remember that those kids who are asking you questions, they may end up as your assistant in five or 10 years.
3: Coaches that come to you and ask questions, they're trying to get better or trying to learn. And sometimes they don't because they don't want to put undue burden on us thinking we're busy. And for my seat, I'm sure from your seat, it's like the more questions you ask, the less I have to unravel later. So please come and let us get it going the right way to begin with. What would
4: you... Part of the day, you at least get to see the people that you want. So often now we're stuck in an office. We have so much more paperwork to do. Our best time of the day is walking around and seeing you coach, is seeing you with your kids. But sometimes we got to have these one-on-one conversations. So come in my door is always
3: open. Absolutely. I couldn't encourage anyone any more than that, because that is the best part. And and even just sharing ideas, right? And and asking the lacrosse coach, why do you do something? Because you might want to steal it for another sport. What would you say, and this is really an open-ended, multifaceted question. What would you say is the best thing you do in your program that has the largest ripple effect on culture? And Also, what are some of the best things you've seen in recent years coaches doing that you would offer as ways in which people can enhance their own programs or teams and maybe something they didn't think would translate?
4: So I saw that question on when you had talked to Golden about it. So I was thinking about that. What does make for good or getting better or things that we want to do? And I think you're right when you talk about you use the word stealing, I use modify and adapt. When I see something from somebody else, I'm not afraid to say, hey, can you help me with this? I I would like to implement that. Our schools are all using positive behavior, intervention and support. It's a program that goes from the positive, right? We look for the good as opposed to punishing the bad. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: So in athletics, we know the more I praise, in a way that's very objective, not in a subjective way. Sometimes I praise with good effort, but other times I praise with, Hey, Justin, I loved how you used that left hand today when you were going down the sideline. Great job of not getting it back into your right hand. We know that Justin wants to keep the ball in his left hand now because he wants my attention. That's what kids want, attention. I think coaches do too. So I look for ways to say, I really thought last night you did a super, job with your substitution pattern. Maybe I didn't like the defense they were playing. Maybe I didn't like the offense they were playing, but I really appreciate it. I try to look for the good. So I assume positive intent. I look for ways, and then I try to acknowledge that with notes. I also make a lot of cookies, um, a lot of baked goods <laughs> of ways of just showing, again, I think it goes back to showing appreciation for each other. And I would say that's been the biggest takeaway for me is trying to continue because I want people to want to stay. It's harder to hire a new coach. I would love those coaches to stay. However, we all have to be on this growth pattern together. We all have to be saying, I want to get better every day. I want to get better every year. If a coach comes to me and I say something, Hey, the booster club wants to pay for an NFHS class for you. And that coach says to me, I don't need that. I I already know all that. Those are red flags to me. Mm -hmm. Those are, you're not a lifelong learner. And if you're not a lifelong learner, then you're not going to last in this profession because we don't do a lot of the stuff I did in high school anymore. And if I saw coaches doing those things today, they wouldn't have a job. (laughs) So if we don't work together to try to stay on top of the things we need to stay on top of we're probably not going to be in the in this position for very long so
3: absolutely and i'm laughing because even the stuff that happened in my era is probably definitely not happening today and probably a little bit different in your era as well so what would you offer as advice to coaches who may or may not get a little bit provincial in the areas from which they're learning, right? As a basketball guy, I can't learn anything from the softball coach. How would you share maybe an anecdote or some advice in regards to getting people to maybe take a step back 10,000 foot view and look at what you can learn across different?
4: I think it goes back to being a good teacher or a good coach. I taught health and physical education for many years and I thought that I was a good teacher. But if I were to be asked to go teach nuclear physics tomorrow, I could teach nuclear physics if I learned about nuclear physics because I know what good teaching and good coaching look like. So watching good coaches and watching how they manage their team, watching how they develop a practice plan, watching how they develop their timeline, watching how they do outreach, Darren Jackson here at North Salinas High School does outreach with kids at Christmas, showing kids what it's like to have compassion and empathy and those types of things. Today, I'm donating socks to the homeless for our FFA program. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that go into coaching, right? We can learn so much from each other. And I think what happens, all of us are very territorial in coaching. And that to me is a, a sad piece where we look in at, in teaching, we're all in a collaborative team. We're all collegial. We're sharing lessons. We're sharing these kinds of things. And I'll say this, I say this to coaches today. I'm pretty sure that the Lakers knew what the heat was going to run. I'm pretty sure they knew. However, it was about execution, right? So it's not about sharing. It's about sharing best practices with each other. And just like right now in voluntary conditioning, right? We're all doing body weight exercises. We're doing strength things on our own. We can look over and go, Hey, I might want to do that tomorrow. Or, Hey, that might be another thing. And I think unfortunately, coaches, all are very self-centered and want what's best for their program, Mm -hmm. which in one sense is extremely appropriate. You want to be the best girls basketball program, the best football program, the best girls tennis program. However, we want our job as the athletic director is to make sure what's best for all of us in the athletic program. We are Viking athletics. We are part of Viking athletics. We are part of a bigger team than just your team, right? So you're a part of the nuclear family. We'll say your basketball team is your nuclear family, but you also have this big extended family that you want to be able to negotiate, navigate the waters and negotiate with each other and collaborate with each other and say, Hey, we've got this week overlap. Can we work this out with Mary or Johnny or Susie or whatever? I think our job as the athletic director is to try and remind all those coaches that we are part of a bigger picture, the Viking community and everything we do reflects on each other. I got my Columbia blue on at big five and something happens that goes wrong. It's about those Vikings, right? I don't get the call that says, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's about, hey, your Viking was in the store and they were out, they were really loud or whatever. Or somebody kicked a soccer ball over my fence. It's your Vikings. So I think our job is to make sure that they know, but we want them to learn from each other and grow with each other too, to be part of that.
3: I think the advice that may have gone unsaid, but that was definitely alluded to was As coaches, we're part of a bigger community on your campus and coaching staff. And often when we get tunnel vision about just running our team or our program, we forget that there are other people that can actually help us grow our own team and program, but also allow us to lift the entire success of the school. And it's something that I think you learn as you get a little bit older, how you can have these relationships that transform the culture of the program and the community, or you can just blaze your own way and there's collateral damage that you may not even be aware of. How would you say that your approach to coaching slash administrating over the course of your career has changed?
4: I think communication has changed in the way when we first started. So communication. When I first started really relied on a hardwired telephone, no email, no texting. So the speed of communication has, I think, greatly increased and the expectations I think for coaches have changed. So if, if a kid breaks their arm at practice and I don't happen to be there, the expectation is that I get a text right away. If that is something out of the ordinary. So I try to tell coaches, think about things that are just out of the ordinary, not your everyday things. People don't break their arm every day. Or a parent came by and talked to me, Jean, and so be on the lookout for that phone call tomorrow so that I can then prepare, let that phone call go to voicemail, let that parent sit for a minute or two while I then coordinate with the coach about my response back. So I think what really is important between the two of us all the time is that you tell me things out of the ordinary and that my job is to make sure you get information. I will also say to coaches, sometimes a coach will say, "Gene, there's so much stuff that I'm getting from you. And I say, you're right. But I sit in meetings all the time and I hear athletic directors or coaches say to me, my athletic director never tells me anything. I don't know what's going on at CCS. I hear that. I don't want to be that person. I also don't want to drive him crazy. However, it is important for you as a coach and for us to know what's going on in our bubble. We all have our athletic bubble. And so I think what's different is that the expectations weren't quite as high. There wasn't the accountability. There wasn't the app that you have to have on your phone for home campus. There's a lot of things. It goes back to, I just want to coach. And I say to them, when they tell me that, I say, And I would just love to come out and watch you coach and play. However, we can't do that anymore. And so I think it's hard. It's so hard for new coaches. There's so many things. And there's just so many things to learn. You just don't know where to start. You gotta start with what's most important to you and then move up. Jim Rear told a story once. He was a long time coach here in the Salinas Valley on the hall of fame up at Alisal. Great basketball coach. He came to one of our coaches meetings. I asked him to come and speak. And I I always take notes during meetings, et cetera. And I'll never forget this. And this was probably 20 years ago. He said to all of them, what's important to you is important to them. And it has always resonated with me. So if it is important for me as a basketball coach for kids to be on time, then I should be in the gym 15 minutes early. If it is important for our, my student athletes to never use profanity, then I should never use profanity around them. Now, what I do outside, if it's important for them to be substance free, when I first started, I had a real conflict, like I stopped drinking, stopped doing anything because I thought, I got to be this person. And I was in my thirties and thinking to myself, and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm an adult. So I get to decide. However, I still want to model that if it's important to have a healthy, like I want you to do something on Saturday, Sunday, every time you turn a commercial on, do 10 pushups and 10 sit-ups, then I should take pride in my fitness. So those words from Jim Rear really stuck with me. And I think it's important. So I would hope coaches know, I, but I shouldn't assume it, what I stand for. What's important to me, they should know by my actions. And I think our students should know from your actions what's important to you. And those things grow with time. So when I'm in my 20s, I was a lot different as a coach than I am now in my 60s. I learned a lot more than I probably ever thought I knew in those times, because I thought I knew everything in my twenties and I was invincible and I was on top of the world. And We come very quickly to understand that's not the truth, that we have to remember that we are the model.
3: Yeah, and it goes to your comment earlier about being a blinking neon sign about what you stand for and how you live that out in your day-to-day and that while your approach may have changed over the years, the things that you stand for and the things that you model every day for your coaches and student-athletes are still just as important. What do you think has been the most challenging component of being a woman in a profession that is statistically dominated by men? How have you navigated that throughout your career and what advice do you have for females getting into the business who are going to run into some walls just by nature of being the minority?
4: That's a great question. My first year as the boys athletic director, I was standing on the sideline at the football game over at Robo bank. And someone came up to me and said, could you point me in the direction of your athletic director, please? And I said, welcome I'm Gene." <laughs> and it was like, the assumption was like, oh, okay, sorry about that. But usually I'm associated, I could be the athletic trainer, or maybe I could be on the chain crew, or maybe I could be even the team doc, maybe. But when I first started over 20 years ago, there were very few women in the field, very few. And I would say less than 10%. Now we know we're closer to probably 30%. I think there are seven of us in the PCal, And one of the ways I think I have for my sanity in a male-dominated profession is to surround myself with relationships with very strong women who understand. And being six foot four has definitely helped in a lot of arenas. There's not a lot of people who question. There's that physical stature really does help in many situations. So you have a very angry dad in the stands. They're usually calmed down fairly quickly when they're talking to a woman and they understand what's appropriate, etc. But I think it's important that we share within ourselves with females because there's a real balance of when you are a woman in this profession. And if you're a mother or if you're a wife or if you're a partner or whatever your other arena is, there's an expectation for me. I know when I come across as what I would say, strong and knowledgeable and doing my research and confident can also come across as the B word or the other words that you hear associated oftentimes with strong women. And I tell people all the time, I have very broad shoulders and I take it and it goes off my back. And when people talk, if people do say negative things about me, I always say, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. However, those people aren't very important in my life. So when I have had challenges with I don't like the way she does X, or I don't like, you know, or coaches who've been unhappy. Everyone has unhappy coaches, and the understanding has to be that I'm trying. I am again assuming positive atten- intent, and I'm also trying to do the best I can. However, I have made many er- errors when it comes to communication and to misunderstandings and all those pieces. And as a woman, you get yourself sometimes into that. Oh, I'm sorry or the types that you see, but we like to talk about things. Like I told you, I could talk forever about things. And sometimes when I have certain coaches, they want to come in, just tell me what I need to know, Jean. All right, I'm good. Other coaches need more love and attention and that piece. So, so I think it's important for us as women to model for other girls in our school. Jordan who's who's an amazing point guard we had here who just graduated from college. And she said to me one day, Mrs. Ashton, I want to have your job. And I said, great, Jordan, because someday I'm not going to want to have this job anymore. (laughs) So it's important to model that for girls so they have that. It's funny you say that because I sent an email today or this week after our PCAL meeting. And I sent it to all the women in the PCAL and said, how would you like to start just some get togethers, informal things, just talking? Because I go back to that singleton and the singleton needs support but the singleton sometimes some men don't want to have those conversations they're fine they have the support they need or the network they need we have to work harder to find that network because there's not so many of us so you have the bow Bullers, right you have the rob bishops the art hunters the people that have been around all those people and you have the jim forkums right you have those people in your life that model That And for us, it's harder just to find that. However, being a woman has some really great opportunities. I would have never been able to serve on the NIAAA board, probably, because we're looking for diversity and equity and inclusiveness. So we're looking for opportunities for women. So if you're one of those people who love to be busy all the time, I got on the CSADA board, I got on the NIAAA board for my three years, those things were there because of the opportunities for women. I would like to say that Maria Shida, when she was the CIF executive director, she got a call from Gatorade, and they said we need a volleyball coach. We'd like a woman from California. She happened to know me. She was living in Watsonville, and she said, "Oh, well, Jean Ashen coaches with her husband Bill." I got on the Gatorade committee for three years because they wanted a woman in California, which opened a lot of doors for me. That I learned about things that I wouldn't have had. Do I think it's fair sometimes? No, but I'm not sure life is fair. So I take advantage of those opportunities and I try and bring them back to our area.
3: Yep. And I think on that note, is it fair? It depends how you want to define that word. I say to my kids all the time and my student athletes, fair is not equal. And if you're looking at our profession and you just said there's seven out of the 32 in our room that are females, you're already looking at, let's call it a disadvantage. So how do you then lean in really hard into that disadvantage and see what opportunities are there because of who you are and what you're bringing to the table. It's interesting. My mother was an athletic director in 1985 before she became a school administrator and definitely was an outlier at that time. Today, that's still the case. But as you said, we're moving the needle a little bit. And I think that advice is really helpful for anyone that's trying to break in or feel like maybe I'm not qualified. And it's no, you are come in the room and give us some breadth of knowledge and perspective. And and I think that'd be really helpful. What would you do if we were able to jump in a time machine and go back and you could advise your younger self coming out of your college coaching career, getting into high school education, teaching, coaching, administrating? What advice would you have for your younger self?
4: So before I answer that, I'm going to go back to the word fair. I'm going to remember your question, but I hear that it's one of the biggest, it's the number one complaint I hear from student athletes. And since we are talking to coaches, my coach isn't fair. And I also have that conversation with kids a lot of times, like what is fair? And you just said it, fair is not equal. I use the example with kids. I come from a nuclear family that had a mother, a father, breakfast in the morning, lunch, dinner on the table. I have student athletes who come to school who have not had breakfast, who won't have lunch, who may have to watch their children later. Is it fair for them to be treated the exact same way as me who have these exact same things? I would say no. I would say this child who has some innate challenges needs more attention and love. Not at the expense of the child who has the other things going for them. And I'm sure in Our communities are very different, right? Morse Wayne and Stevenson. However, you treat every child fairly, not equally. So fairness is about that. That's what we're looking for is what fair. So the kids, they don't treat us all the same. I say we don't treat everybody the same. But if I were to go back in time, which I have my time turner from Harry Potter world on it right here behind me. That was the one thing I got at Harry Potter world because I thought that would have been the best thing to have as an athletic director is a time turner. So the, when we have softball, baseball, track, and the tennis match here, you're always going, where do you go? Where do you go? And then I missed the home run at the softball field. And then I see the double play at the baseball diamond. So I always thought the time turner would be cool. But if I were to go back in time, I don't think I would change anything in the trajectory of where I am today. However, listening to your other podcasts and listening to other people, the bottom line is... The one thing I probably would change is the balance between family and work. Mm -hmm. And every year at every conference you go to, probably at IBM and at GM and everywhere else, there's always a breakout session on balancing work and family. We were lucky two daughters who came with us every day. I was pregnant with the both of them here. They sat in the box. The parents watched the kids. I usually didn't know where they were, to be perfectly honest, for their first five years of life because they were here somewhere. Someone had them. I'm sure they were safe, and I know they were safe, but they did get to do a lot of things. They would come to conferences with me. When we were in Orlando, Bill flew them out at the end of the conference, and we did Disney World, and we did Animal Kingdom, and Epcot Center, and those types of things. So I tried to make those trips special where we could, but I would definitely go home earlier. And I would say to coaches and athletic directors, it'll be there in the morning. And I'm not sure there were many people who put in as many hours as I have throughout the years. And I know on our campus, we talk about the visibility of people. Our coaches, our athletic administrators are the ones who people see. And they are the ones who they come to for help. Besides our principal, I don't think there's any more visible person on our campus than the athletic director throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And I think that is at every campus. And even if I were to talk about our coaches, people are driving by watching what's going on. It's out in the open for everybody to see. It's not your math classroom where you close the door, bam, we're going to have math today. Everybody gets to decide how I ran that play. Everybody gets to decide why didn't I foul in that last 10 seconds. Everybody's got a decision on why I put so-and-so into the four-by-four instead of so-and-so. We are being judged all the time. And I would say to coaches and to myself, give yourself a break. Know that you're going to make mistakes. Know that if you come with what was best at the time that you thought and you did, you made the best decision with the information you had, it may be wrong. And I think that the beauty of coaches, we're always trying to get it right the next time. And I think that's what makes coaching such a cool thing in athletic administration is that we are trying to get it better every time we do. We're not just settling for where we are. We're looking for new ways to do things. We're looking for those things. But I would definitely say if I had to do anything over, I would have spent less time in this building than I did. However, I'm not one for regrets.
3: I don't necessarily hear regret. What I hear is how do you in your time turner go back and counsel your younger self to make sure that your family is getting as much attention as your, vocation and by bringing the kids to the gym by being a family endeavor you figured out a way to do that and i think people get themselves i'm going to use the word in trouble when they don't do that and one is privileged over the other and my family situation was very similar to yours the kids were in the gym they were somewhere on campus with somebody you know they're fine. But it became a family endeavor, right? My wife is working bingo with us. My kids are in the gym at 5.30 in the morning when my wife's out of town and we had to practice and they're eating donuts and running on the court. And, and to your point, it humanizes you as a coach and an AD to your student athletes in your community. It gets the kids around their mentors in life that look after them that they get to learn from. And it, it almost forces you as a parent and as a coach to continuously check yourself and be in line with whatever your decisions and your values are, because you're not just mirroring those now for those athletes and parents, but for your own children. So I, I don't necessarily hear regret as much as just make sure it's intentional and not accidental in the way in which you ended up tackling that particular challenge in life. Coach, awesome to have you here. Lots of knowledge, probably enough for two or three of these episodes, but we will uh, definitely get this one out there and see what the the uh, feedback is. Thanks,
4: Justin.
0: This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, You got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This
5: episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission last thing element might have the best return policy on the planet if you don't love it you'll be instantly
3: refunded